0: Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Let's welcome uh, Pastor Wayne Clark this morning. Amen. Thank you. Uh, It is such a privilege to be here. This morning, especially on, on this Sunday, on uh, Pastor Appreciation Sunday. I know you celebrate it all month, but uh, I do want you to know that I, I have such regard for your pastor and his wife uh, because not only do they lead CT Church, they lead our section. And he, he basically is a pastor to pastors, uh, a pastor to leaders. And I I want to say thank you to you as a congregation uh, for allowing that to happen and giving them uh, in that ministry as well. And uh, the Assemblies of God, I'm not too sure we've ever learned what the power of our cooperative fellowship really is, because we are not a group of churches that, that are trying to compete with each other. We're teammates. We're working together. And I don't know that we've ever discovered the power of that. And When I came here 22 years ago, uh, that was not necessarily the case in any large degree in San Antonio. But uh, it is now. We actually have fun at our sectional meetings. And guys, actually, ministers and pastors actually come. That, that, that amazes me. And, and we... Uh, we can do things together. We can develop vision together. And I just, I just want to say publicly thank you to Pastor Doug and Janet for their leadership. You have incredible pastors here and they shepherd you incredibly well. But they also have been placed by the Holy Spirit in a position to shepherd shepherds. That should tell you the quality of the pastor who leads this fellowship. I have to tell you that my wife and I are indebted to you, deeply, deeply indebted to CT Church. I can't tell you how indebted I
1: am. I don't know how she feels about it, but I am. March 1971.
0: Judy, uh, I was on the basketball team at Southwestern, and we were ending up our year. One of our final games was here in San Antonio. I was president of the student body, a few other things, but what I enjoyed doing was when we had a Saturday game, I would call churches in the area and find a church that was willing to allow us to be there on Sunday. We had a men's trio among the the players, and three of the cheerleaders had a trio, and then I would preach. We would sing and preach, and guess who said, I would love to have you come? Pastor James Brothers. And so we were scheduled to come here, and the school that we were going to play had a water main break at the last minute and it flooded the gym floor, and they canceled the game. So I called Brother Brothers and said to him, I'm sorry, we're not coming. He said to me, yes, you are. A men's trio and a women's trio. And I said, "Uh, uh, uh, okay. uh." So I went to the cheerleaders. At that time, I was dating one of them, And I said to them, you guys, we've got to go anyway. And they said, we're not going. If there's no game, we're not going. I didn't know know what to do. I was going to have to face the wrath of James Brothers. But the week after that, my wife was in another women's trio that traveled a lot for Southwestern. And they were going to a church in Houston. And the pastor said they would schedule them if they would bring somebody to preach. So they had asked me to go with them the following week to preach. So I went to them and said, okay, what's good for one is good for the other. You come with us this week. And I had a woman's trio. On that trip, my wife and I got together. And um, in fact, she tickled me with her big toe in the car. I got to tell you the whole story, but my best friend that came with us thought she hung the moon, and I liked her too. But uh, there was another girl that got in the front next to me, and she liked me, and I couldn't stand her. Chuck thought he was God's gift to women, and he was trying to flirt with Judy, and Judy didn't want to have anything to do with it. So basically, to get Chuck off her back, she started flirting with me. I was driving. I, you're driving along and somebody, some really good looking girl, starts tickling you with her toe from the back seat. <laughs> and so, because Linda, that this girl that was after, she was, I mean, she was forward. And I just kept having to say, get, get away from me. So I started flirting with Judy and we, we kind of struck it up. And so... Uh, Between James Brothers and her big toe, we got together. (laughs) So I can't tell you, I feel unbelievably indebted to CT Church. She wafts back and forth. (laughs) But uh, thank you, and thank you to your former pastor. Amen. I I am known to have dreams. And often, when I'm asked to take offerings at our district councils, uh, instead of preaching at preachers why they should give, I usually just try to tell a funny story. That goes a lot better. But I, 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 I I have these dreams about people, and and last night when I went to bed, I, I closed my eyes and I had a dream about your pastors, Pastor Doug and Pastor Janet. This was almost a nightmare. I dreamed that they were old. Well, they're kind of old already. (laughs) Only kind of. But they were really old. They were retired, and they were on a fixed income. And they started, they decided they would save their money every year to go on one big date. A big date. And they would go to the state fair. The first year they went, of course, remember, they're on a tight fixed income, and they walk in the gate, and oh, it's, it's gorgeous, and off to the left, there was a small runway, and it, 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 there was a guy there with a biplane, you, you know those two-winged planes, the crop duster kinds? It said plane rides, $10, and Pastor Doug looked at Pastor Janet and said, hey, Janet, I'm going to ride that plane. And Janet looked at her husband and said, No, you're not, you old goat. It costs $10. $10 is $10. We don't have $10. You ain't riding it. Well, they argued, and Janet won. Well, the next year they came in again. The guy was still there, and Doug says, I'm going to ride the plane this year. I want to ride that plane, Janet said. You ain't riding it, it costs ten dollars. Ten dollars is ten dollars. You ain't getting on it, yo goat. And um, they argued she won. Ten years in a row. I'm gonna ride the plane. No, you're not. She wins every finally the tenth year. They walked in, there was a plane. By this time, Pastor Doug's a little, you know. I'm going to ride that plane this year. It doesn't matter what you say. I'm going to ride it. No, you're not. You all go It costs $10. $10 is $10. Well, he started yelling, I'm going to ride it. No, you're not. I'm going to. And the pilot overheard him. Finally, he, he walked over to him. Excuse me. I, I don't mean to, 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 cut, to butt into your, your business, but uh, listen, I'll take both of you up in my plane. And if you can keep from making one sound, I'll do it for free. Well, Pastor Janet says,
1: "I can do that. That'll shut the old goat up. And we don't have to argue every year when we come on
0: our date." And he said, well, "I can do it. I can. I, I. can do it." And they got in the plane. The guy took him up. First thing he did was a stall. You know, a stall. It. Not a sound. He turned the plane over and flew upside down. Not a peep. Then he did a big loop-the-loop. Not a sound. And the guy thought, I'm going to lose my money. So he did it again. Stall, upside down, loop-the-loop. Not a peep. He landed the plane, turned around and said to Pastor Doug, I've been doing this for 10 years. You are the first people that I have ever brought up that did not make a sound and begged me to take them down. It's for free. And Doug said, well, I I started to say something when Janet fell out, but $10 is $10. (laughs) <laughs> Amen. It's good to have my wife here. I want to thank you, Pastor, for praying for us. We were in a very severe auto accident seven weeks ago now. And um, could have been very, very uh, critical. Uh, we're very fortunate to be alive. My wife was hospitalized for four days. Uh, broken sternum, tailbone, blown-out discs, and all kinds of stuff. And um, if it hadn't been for several mitigating factors, I'm sure we would not be here. Our truck was totaled almost beyond recognition, and um, God's hand of protection was genuinely with us. And my wife was not supposed to drive for a long period of time. Uh, she, she wound up starting to drive three weeks ahead of schedule. Now she's pretty well back to normal, as normal as she can be. Um, she has a problem with her big toe. <laughs> but she's doing well, and uh, she can breathe deeply, finally, with the broken toe. It's an eight-month process for her. But she's back at her job as a, a uh, chaplain for the Bear County uh, Family Justice Center. Uh, Judy deals with victims of domestic violence. So we are, um, we're just grateful to be here. We have loved CT Church. In fact, uh, we're kind of our closest neighbors. Uh, we've worked so well together. Uh, in fact, we have, we have actually given money for you on your, on your mission trips you have invested money into our church on our missions trips. So, oh, Pastor Doug, we talked about it one time and we decided we'd do a, a missions trip, a sectional missions trip. We'd pull that off. And I, I'm just so grateful for that kind of leadership. So, we've, we've had a... I, one other thing, I, I played
1: golf with your pastor. This man can hit a golf ball further than
0: 98% of the pros. I'm telling you that's true. The problem is he has no idea where it's going. <laughs> there are times that he will hit it beyond, you know, I 350 yards, but when he gets to his
1: ball, he's further away from the green than he was when he started. These are great days, these are incredible times. I I don't know that the United States has ever
0: seen a moment in time where there was more hate, more division, more divisiveness, more immorality. Our country is is truly at a a huge crossroads. And we need to pray for America, amen? Uh, I hope you intend to vote. A Christian that does not exercise that responsibility uh, needs to reconsider. Amen. But there's also another battle that's going on. And most people have no concept of this particular battle. A couple of years ago when I was the guest speaker for the General Council of the Assemblies of God in Singapore. Boy, that was fun. Judy and I have been there numbers of times to Singapore, and what a privilege to be their speaker. In fact, they were, they were trying to deal with issues that pastors were facing, and the entire my series of messages to them was that this was the, the title. Are you ready for this?
1: The ministry is easy. Not. There's never been more pressure. It has
0: never been more difficult. In fact, there are some statistics that I shared there. Our superintendent expanded that and shared them at our sectional council this year. And I just want to I, I lay a few of those out for you. Every month in the United States,
1: there are 1,500 ministers that prematurely quit the ministry. Every month. As a whole, the
0: churches in America, I'm not talking about the Assemblies of God, I'm talking about the Christian church in America. We start 4,000 brand new churches every year,
1: but we close 7,000. As a whole, 50% of all pastors divorce.
0: Now, I want you to understand, in the Assemblies of God, that's not true but the statistic is much higher than it should be. 70% of pastors battle with depression. 80% of pastors and 85% of pastor spouses feel discouraged in their roles. 70% of pastors say they do not have a close friend or confidant. 50% of pastors
1: are so discouraged they would leave the ministry if they felt they had another option. Are you catching that? 80% of pastors spend less than 15 minutes
0: a day in prayer. 70% of pastors only study God's word to prepare for sermons. 80% of ministers leave the ministry within the first five years of starting. That almost seems overwhelming, doesn't it? I'm just telling you that there is an all Out onslaught against ministers, against people that Jesus calls and places in his church's gifts. Satan is at his best right now in his attack against pastors and against those that are called into the ministry. Eighty percent of adult children of ministers have sought professional help for depression. Did you catch that? 90% of ministers feel they receive inadequate training. 85% of pastors report their biggest problem in deal is dealing with absent elders deacons and staff leaders. 90% say the hardest part of the ministry is uncooperative people. 70% feel they are grossly underpaid. 80% of ministers and spouses feel unappreciated by the congregation and 90% Say the ministry
1: is really not what they expected it to be There's a Greek word for all that. Wow. Wow. So today, as we talk about pastor appreciation, that this is not trite.
0: This is not something that you and I well, let's just do this and we go on. This is serious. Neither am I saying that churches need to start coddling their pastors, afraid that, oh, they're going to quit. Listen, God has given to those he calls. He equips those he calls. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the eternal promises of God's word. And there may be battles, but he's given us equipment, and we, we are to wear that equipment. I'm telling you, you can stand in the battle, and when the dust settles, we're going to be victorious in the end. There is a world that is lost. This is not a time for us to start coddling and quitting and backing up. This is a time for us to press the battle and move forward and be the church that God has called
1: us to be. Amen.
0: But sometimes churches need to know that just being a pastor isn't all standing up in front of people and smiling and preaching There's a whole bunch of stuff that's behind the scenes that is difficult and hard. The ministry has never been more difficult than it is today. One of the problems is there's going to be a church down the street that does not care about your church. And if they can steal your sheep, they will. The whole kingdom principle seems to be dividing in so many different ways. Thank God for pastors. And thank God for people that are good pastors.
1: How long have you guys been here now? 18 years. Well, that's, that's unusual.
0: Pastor Brothers laid a great foundation, didn't he? And thank God that foundation was there to build on. So today, I'm going to quickly run through a couple of things. I was called to the ministry when I was 14, the night I was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was a few weeks later that Mr. Hoyle, in my fourth grade art class, said to everybody, okay, do any of you know what you want to be when you grow up? And I blurted out, I want to be in the ministry. I'm going to be a preacher to the whole class. And they all looked at me and they said, how do you know that? And I said, well, God told me. That has never left me. But my parents were in the ministry, and I will never forget what they went through When I was in the seventh grade, it was horrific. It was beyond words. I don't know how God kept from zapping a few people. But I remember them at home crying and my mother laying across the bed, sobbing at what had happened to them. I I knew the details. And right then when I saw how viciously they were being attacked, for no good reason, Basically, it's because the church was growing and the people didn't like the kind of people that were coming into the church. So they planned to get rid of him, made up some charges about. And on the, well, they went to San Francisco just to get away for a day and try to figure out and pray. Well, what, what is God doing here? When they came back, all the locks on the church were changed. Oh, it was terrible. And
1: right then I said, Okay, God, I love you with all my heart. And I'm going to serve you
0: no matter what. But I ain't going in the ministry. I I didn't want to have to deal with that. I can tell you that God is smarter than you are. So out of high school, I joined the Air Force. Because if I was in the military of the United States government, God couldn't do anything about it, right? That was what I thought. But it was then that I discovered God is a whole lot smarter than me. I don't have time to tell you that incredible story. Oh. (laughs) But it was amazing how God brought me to submittance. When you think you're running away, sometimes he just sits and says, <laughs>
1: running right to where he wanted me to be. Jesus had just left the Galilee area. and We don't know exactly how that happened, but
0: we find him in, in Banias today at Caesarea Philippi, an amazing city. It was founded by the Greeks, and it, they celebrated there. It was the religious center for the worship of the Greek god Pan. It's where we get a word pantheism. Philip, Herod Philip had rebuilt it in 17 AD. He followed his father, Herod the Great. He became king in 4 BC, reigned for 38 years. He rebuilt that city and then actually called it Caesarea in order of Augustus Caesar to, to honor him. And then his name was attached to it. Now, now this is uh, the Jewish king attached to a Roman emperor, Caesarea Philippi. And it became a, a center for Roman worship. As you came into that city, it was right at the foot of Mount Hermon. There are cliffs and walls along there, and and they had cut out places. And and as as you see these places there, Roman gods, the busts of Roman gods were placed on them. And Greek gods as well. And as he's walking into the city, he and his disciples are there. It's there that Jesus, that this is really the only thing that happened there. It was
1: strategic on the part of Christ. And he said to them, he stopped in that incredible
0: moment and says to them, who are people saying that I am? They said, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then the real question. It's a question they had to answer. It's a question that you had to answer because it's at the very foundation of the forward movement of the church of Jesus Christ. It's who he is. Who do you say that I am? Peter looked at him and in a moment said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus told him, that's a revelation that comes from my father. You're blessed because of that. And then he said, I will build my church on that fact on that truth i will build my church now that was cool the disciples were really wanting him to mount a white steed right into right into jerusalem take over and then announce to the roman government they were through oppression was over that's what they wanted that they were looking to him to lead them in some way like that to be a leader that would lead them out from underneath the oppressiveness of rome but that's not why Jesus was here. And he told them, I will build my church. He further said the gates of hell will, cannot withstand it. Sometimes we think that was a negative statement that, well, you're going to be attacked by the gates of hell, but that nothing what they can do they will ever be able to do can win. No, it really it means the nature of the church is forward movement and the strongest parts of the kingdom of hell will not be able to stand against the church when she moves forward in her power and glory and in the power of
1: the Holy Spirit. I can imagine what the disciples are thinking. You're going to build a church? How are you going
0: to do that? Then he turns around and tells them, now I'm leaving.
1: Oh, no. Wait a minute, are are you going to build a church? Uh, How can you build a church if you're going to leave? That's a good question, isn't it? And then he reveals to them and opens their understanding. And he says, okay,
0: I'll do it, but I'm going to do it through you. So How is he going to do this? What's he going to do? He tells them, he gives us the great commission. And then Paul really gives us insight when he talks in Ephesians 4.11. I'm going real quick, guys, so you may not even be able to catch up. Tells him that this is the way, that when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. And he turned and gave gifts to men. Those gifts that he would give to his church were in the form of, of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Pastors. It is through them that the church would be equipped and ultimately the ministry would be accomplished and unity and faith would come into the church and the church would be strong. The gifts of the pastor are so critical because God has called them to equip the church. I love the, the old King James that said, for the equipment of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. The first word for is right. It's prose, It's unto. He gave the pastors unto the equipment of the saints. But the second one is really the word east. It's the word unto. So he gives the pastor for the equipment of the saints. That in turn works unto the accomplishment of the work of the ministry. It's not the pastors that are to do the work of the ministry. It's the people of God that are to do the work of the ministry. Hello? His job is to feed and equip. That then will lead unto the strengthening and the edifying and the building up of the body of Christ. Well, it's a genius plan. But that's that's the purpose of a pastor. That's why, that's one of the reasons that he comes. To fill us, to strengthen us, to challenge us, to release us. The word equip was a medical term. A a beautiful term. It, It meant... It was used for the setting of a broken bone. So it takes and sets it in place. That's a picture of what those in the ministry are supposed to do. That They're to take what is broken and not usable and through the power of God and the teaching of God's word and through discipleship set it in place and make it functional in the body of Christ so the body of Christ is strong and can accomplish what God's called it to do. Amen. Thank God for pastors. Where would the church be without pastors? Then there's another place in John, chapter 21, John's addendum. Most theologians feel like John added that later because of the the story that was flourishing in the church that John was not going to die before Jesus came back. And so there was an occasion when Jesus addressed that, and he, he added, if you read the end of John 20, and you find, you find it, basically, he ends it. Then you, you read the end of John 21, he ends it again. But that's an incredible chapter. That's when Peter, seven of them were fishing. Remember, Peter said, well, shoot, I'm going fishing. Now, I love that. Fishing's my hobby. I use that as an excuse all the time. In fact, we always catch fish. If you want to catch fish, you go with me, because before we go, we we pray. We don't pray amiss. We pray and take dominion over the fish of the sea.
1: (laughs) It works. They've been out fishing, caught
0: nothing. Jesus comes walking along the shore. And you know the story. He tells them, hey, you guys caught anything? Uh, We fished all night, hadn't even caught a bluegill
1: or something like that. And he said, cast your nets on them, put your net on the other side. And they said, oh. So they
0: did, and their nets were filled with 153 Clark fish. What do you mean by that? Well, it says they were great fish. They were real big ones. So I call him Clark Fish. And the nets should have broke, but they didn't. Peter said, it's the Lord. He jumps in the water, swims to the shore. And there, Jesus literally, it's a recommissioning of Peter into the ministry. Now, I want you to catch this. Because every time you see your pastor, every time the young people see their youth pastor, when you see your worship pastor, there is a, there's a message that you and I need to get loud and clear.
1: When Jesus, when Peter came and sat down with Jesus, you know this story, he said, do you love me?
0: And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. A third time, do you love me? And Peter's getting exasperated. Yes, I love you. A lot of people think Peter denied Jesus three times and he questioned him three times. I don't know that there's any way to prove that theologically, but it really
1: sounds good. Yes, Lord, I love you. You know all things. And he changed the word for love.
0: Usually that's where the message is in this, but, but there's a greater message in here that speaks to us of our pastors, speaks to us of why God has sent them. This is a recommissioning of Peter into the ministry. Peter, do you love me? Now, now he's given him instruction. Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. And, and sometimes we just don't quite extract everything that's there that's in the original languages. But the original language was he said feed, busco. That was a term that was used to spoon feed. My lambs said, Peter, one of the greatest qualities of a good pastor, of a good minister, is you will make sure that those who cannot feed themselves are
1: fed. Wow. I'm going to tell you, a good church
0: will always have good children's ministries. I was here a few weeks ago when Pastor Janet spoke. And when I listened, I tell you what, if I was young and had kids, I would be here because I would want my kids to start in the nursery and work all the way through everything that you've got for them. But that's not just something that we're doing so we can keep people. That's the heart of Jesus Christ expressed through the ministry. It's the vision. It's what your pastors are doing. It's what they're providing for. It's the heart of Jesus Christ. Take care of those that are, can't take care of themselves. New converts. They need to be fed. They need to be spoon fed. Wow. Peter got it. He said, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus changed both words. Instead of using the word bosco, he used the word poimen, poimene which is the word to shepherd. Same word in Ephesians 4.11, shepherd. My, and he changed the word for sheep from lambs to promenton, which meant the whole flock, from the youngest to the oldest, from the easiest to love to the hardest to love. I want you to tend, care for Don't just feed. Care for the whole flock. As I look out, In this congregation, one of the things that I have noticed is you have babies, you have children, you have youth, you have young married couples, you have singles, you have older people, you've got everybody in between. You have any idea what an indication that is of health? Jesus never wanted us to have churches that were basically... Well, we'll we'll reach the young people. Or we'll do this. A healthy church is one that reaches, because Jesus loves all of them. And and, and if you're in your elder years of life, I'm telling you, Jesus still loves you. Then he changed, he asked again, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that. And Peter changed the word for love. And Jesus used the same word. He said, okay, Peter, shepherd, poimene, poimen. You be a shepherd. That means tend them in every way. But he changed the word for prombenton. And what he did was he added the Greek suffix T-I-A.
1: And made it promentia, which is a term of endearment.
0: And I want you to catch this. Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, I'm calling you. I'm commissioning you. You're going to tend. You're going to care for my sheep. But one thing I don't want you to ever forget is they are mine and every one of them is precious to me. Precious. When you, see, when you see a pastor, when you see Pastor Doug, Pastor Janet, when you see your, your team, when you see them functioning, one of the things that Jesus Christ is screaming to you is that you are precious to me. As long as God is still calling people into the ministry, yes, we face today, the ministry faces some incredible pressures. I think that the time may come, if we're not careful, the time may come when it becomes against the law to say certain things that the Bible says in church. We have have brothers and
1: sisters in Canada that are in jail today. Because they preached on Romans 1 and 2. You can look that up if you want to. The pressures have never been more real and more
0: difficult. Another thing about pastors. And this is not always true. But it's true most of the
1: time. If you want to see what kind of people they genuinely are. Look at their kids. I know some people that have been incredible, incredible parents. They give time and everything,
0: and the kids still have difficulties. Well, when I look at Pastor Doug and Pastor Janet and I see their children, I actually tried to hire their kids one time. I did. And if I could have, I would have. But God had some other plans and it didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. But I would love to have had them at first assembly. Then you would never have got to taking them to, to Peoria. And then they wouldn't have been here. And then they, because they would have loved me so much that they would have stayed with me the entire time. But I saw the quality of their daughter. I listened to their son lead you in worship. I don't know if you understand what a statement that is about the quality of their parenting and the depth of their relationship with God reproduced in children. but you have excellent. You have, you have excellent pastors. And I hope I'm not telling you oh, we need to be afraid. What's going to happen?, no, they don't, don't need to be coddled. They
1: need to be loved and appreciated Amen. So this is pastor appreciation
0: and today I, I hope that um, you express yourselves really well and that it's not just we should appreciate those who lead us, but God is looking for sheep that will follow, amen? So in a moment, the, um, some members of your, uh, your de- some deacons are going to come. They're going to share some things and receive an offering. And I hope today that um, you express yourself well. But more than anything,
1: follow the leadership God has given you. Follow them. I don't think you, you may
0: not Understand or realize how privileged you are to have the quality of people that you have leading you. But you're privileged. I hope we take this thing, let's go get the enemy, amen? Let's whip the devil. But it's going to take Jesus' plan. And people are going to have to follow. Be equipped. Get involved in ministry. And let's bring Jesus back to earth. I will never forget this, and whoever among the deacons are going to come, come on up. We're in the middle of the age crisis in Africa. I listened to an appeal. It was about Bible schools in the the continent of Africa. And I watched systematically how they proved the answer to the AIDS pandemic
1: is qualified, spirit-filled, Pastors. Building of Bible schools.
0: And in a couple generations. A lot of that pandemic would have been over. Jesus was really smart when he said. I'm going to give you gifts. I'm going to give you a pastor. And we have to see our pastoral staff. As gifts from Jesus Christ. To lead us and guide us. God bless you. It's been such a privilege to be here, Pastor Doug. Thank you uh, for you, your gentlemen. Thank you for your uh, the privilege of speaking today. And I I have to tell you, I love your pastors. They are they are friends, good friends. God bless you. Thank you. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.